Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church Podcast. Today, July 4th, 2021, we look at gospel-centered families from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Can you say thank you for listening? Thank you for listening. And so this morning, we're going to continue to talk about gospel-centered families or spirit-filled families. We're, we're working off the same premise that, that we started with uh, earlier uh, in that we are talking about uh, spirit-filled wives and spirit-filled husbands, and we did quite a bit of conversation about that. And now we move on to spirit-filled families. And from the tapestry of, of marriage, um, Paul lingers over the fine needlework of families, and, and he talks about parenting. And, and we're still working off of this overarching theme of Ephesians 5 and verse 21, which says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And with that as a, as a banner over all that we have been talking about through this section, we talked about spirit-filled wives. We talked about spirit-filled husbands. We spent a lot of time talking about those two things. And now we move into this area of spirit-filled parenting. And so, again, Paul is instructing both children and parents in this particular portion of Scripture. And he'll be showing us that this relationship, what we're after, is, is this relationship is based on respect from both the child and the parent, from the parent to the child. There, there's got to be some balance in there. And so we begin this morning with our big idea, and it's simply this. God provides instruction through Paul for the Christian household, covering respect and honor and discipleship. Now, here's our plan for this morning. We want to begin, and, and I want to lay some background work here this morning. We're going to continue with Paul's actual instruction that he gives us from the Word. And then we want to conclude with a couple of wrap-up principles. So, as we get started this morning, let's talk about a helpful backdrop. And, and within that, we're going to look at... Uh, this idea of family memories. Now, Paul is shifting his application to children and parents. And when that happens, as we read the scriptures, sometimes it can't help but unlock the cedar chest of childhood memories. Maybe that's a cedar chest that you haven't opened for a long time. <clears throat> but as we approach Paul's instruction on parenting. Let's, let's take just a minute to think about our feelings or our, our family memories, if, if, you, if you like to say it that way better, nestled among the baby blankets, nestled among the toddler shoes, maybe the warm feelings of affection from parents who cradled us tenderly, dabbed away our tears. It might be an old baseball glove or an old china doll that as you go through stuff from your childhood that bring back recollections of good times together and sacrifices made. But Paul's teaching may also conjure up for us maybe some not so pleasant things, maybe some darker feelings, if you will. 
images of a father who we vaguely knew or a mother whom we felt we could never please may tumble out of that chest like moth-eaten linens. We long for the nostalgic recollections, but in their place sometimes what we find are tattered memories of conflict and anger and betrayal. Most of us, the souvenirs of childhood, are a blend of happy and sad. Brightly lit birthday candles against broken toys. Echoes of giggles against sometimes the hot tears of disappointment. No family is ideal. And all God's people said, Amen. No, fam- no family's ideal. We all have a mixture of emotions swirling around in our heritage. And we will, we always will, even if we diligently follow Paul's counsel, because the words that we read, such as obey and honor and discipline and instruction, are, they're not figures in some kind of a mathematical formula. We just can't add them all up correctly and voila, we have the perfect family. It's, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's not, not real. And I said this, it, life is not as tidy as that picture. It's much messier, but it's also much richer. It's okay to be messy. It's okay as long as we are focused on following hard after God. Now, let me take you to perspective, secondly, here from Proverbs. And no, we don't have any magic formulas. We do have a core method that we can organize our our parenting around. And this idea is of nurture. It's the idea of nurture. The wisest man who ever lived said this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, as Solomon counseled, we need to train up. The idea is to dedicate our children from the time they are too little to walk in the way of the Lord. And it's kind of interesting, too. I noticed that the phrase, in the way they should go, can be rendered as according to his way, meaning the child's way. One commentator said this, that the, uh, this implies, it probably implies a respect for their individuality or their vocation. As a pastor, J. Vernon McGee observed it in this down-to-earth way. I love the way J. Vernon McGee writes. He says this, he says, What he is saying is that God has a way he wants him to go. Parents are to find out that way. They're not to bring up a child in the way he thinks he should go, but in the way God wants him to go. Now, can I I just back up here just a second? And and I want to say this. That is a verse that many of us love. Proverbs uh, 22.6, I believe, yeah, 22.6. And I want you to understand that that is a principle of God's word. It is not an iron-clad guarantee, okay? As we continue to walk through some of this, you need to understand that sometimes kids make up their mind to do something that is not honoring to God. 
That does not make you as a parent a failure. Did you hear me when I said that? You are not a failure if you have a, wa- a wayward child. And understand this, that we ought, to un- we ought to know that. And this is a principle from God's word. It is not an iron-clad promise that if you do this, this, and this, that kid's going to turn out right. There are no guarantees. It doesn't work like that. Remember the, the, the equation, the math? Hey, life's messy, right? Life is messy, and it's just sometimes doesn't make any sense. So we understand that implicit in this sensitivity to how God has put our children together, he has shaped their personality, has shaped their bents. We want them to discover their gifts and how to use them for God's glory, but... It also means we don't force our Christian faith on them through pharisaical strictness and zeal, which only fosters a desire to stretch out their wings and push us away and immediately fly south as far as they can to escape Christianity. Anyone... Anyone resents being run through an impersonal curriculum, revolts against being treated as a non-person, and children are no exception. At the center of their being, they want to be known intimately and genuinely and trained in godliness in a personal way that's tailor-made for them. I got four kids. Every one of them is absolute, different, and distinct in the way that they function in life. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. It's okay for each one of our children to be different. They don't all have to be the same. And so we recognize that. So what we're looking for is the idea here of trained in godliness in a personal, tailor-made way for them. That's the idea of nurturing, that we would come alongside our kids and nurture them. That's knowing how your children learn most easily, how sensitive they are, how much encouragement they need, how close they like you to get, and how they need to be disciplined. All of that works together. And so it entails spending a lot of time together. We can't embroider God's way into the fabric of our children's life in a hit-and-miss fashion. We need to teach them diligently, as the Word of God says here. When we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Nurturing is a natural, daily part of life. If I can say it this way, it's just doing life together. And talking about victories defeats, good times, hard times. When we nurture, we determine to set aside our own agendas and accept our children as individuals, patiently helping them to develop God's gifts for their lives and to be used for God's purposes. So with that as kind of a backdrop, I want to walk into this idea of Paul's counsel for parents and children. So we're going to look at this instruction now. Paul drew close 
to the children first, giving them instruction and reminding them of the teaching of Moses. And so we're going to begin with, with the kids here. So if you have your Bibles open, should be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 through 3. Read this together, or read this as, uh, together as, as we look at this and it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So Paul starts out here at, at the very beginning and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And essentially, Paul is telling us that obedience to parents is how they serve Christ. So if you are a Christian as a child, and you want to be obedient to Christ, then you need to be obedient to your parents. And, and that's exactly part of how uh, Jesus himself, the very Son of God, according to Luke chapter 2, continued in subjection uh, to his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. He, he was the Son of God, and yet he was under their authority. And even when they didn't understand or encourage his pursuit after uh, his life in God. If you go back and you read chapter 2, verses uh, 41 to 50, and that's when Jesus was lost in the crowd. And they went back and they found him. Where was he? He was sitting in the temple. He was teaching the teachers. And, uh, you know, they said, hey, we were worried about you. You should never run away from us like that or be away from us like that. And, and so he stayed with them. He, he was continuing in subjection and under their uh, authority. You know, kids, God has placed you in your parents' authority over you uh, because you need the wisdom and the guidance and the protection they can provide. Sometimes, you know, I was, I, it's, a, it's amazing how this stuff works together, but um, uh, Joya listens to a, uh, a particular, uh, is it a uh, podcast? Okay, it's a podcast, and she listened to that, and just Saturday as we were together, she was listening to this podcast, and it was talking all about, um, this little, little kid was like, oh, you know, my parents make all these rules and, and they don't love me and, and, you know, they just are hard on me and they make me do stuff I don't want to do. And, and so, uh, the, they, they kind of let them have that, that, uh, a wonderful life moment when they looked back to see some of the things that their parents did for them. And there was, you know, the parent that ran out and grabbed the kid by the arm and, and said, no, 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 don't run into the street and, and sent them back uh, into the house. There's a night that um, if you've spent a night like this, you understand it, that the child was sick, not knowing that mom and dad stayed up all night praying for and taking care of that child. And sometimes, sometimes we don't think about stuff like that. We don't realize all the, all the hard work that goes in to parenting and, and being able to understand that. And so, uh, you know, parents have authority over kids because they need to provide that wisdom and that guidance and protection that, that only they can provide. A home is a school for life. And with your parents uh, ideally teaching and equipping you out how to live out the gospel, how to walk in love and righteousness, in design, that, that in God's design, kids, they're for you. 
Their parents are to encourage you and, and, and to uh, understand that God himself cares for you. And then on the flip side of that, for parents, uh, the command does not give divine permission to rule over our kids uh, as lords and ladies like we're over them as little subjects. Only one Lord exists. And he wants us to nurture and to love our children as he has nurtured and loved us. God gave us this child, and we want to show submission to the Lord by loving and understanding and nurturing this precious child. Now, not only does he begin with, children, obey your parents, but then Paul goes on to say, honor your father and mother. He's reiterating here the fifth commandment that God gave Moses in Exodus 20 and verse 12. Why would, he, why would he be doing that? Because you're getting an underlying attitude. One of my favorite Dennis the Menace cartoons is a cartoon with Dennis and, and, and he's sitting in the corner, you know, and the little stars are coming off of his backside because he's gotten a, a, a spanking. And he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And there's a lot of times that, that, that our kids feel that way. Hey, you ever disobeyed your parents and, and you've been, you know, on the outside, you've obeyed and done what you were supposed to do. But on the inside, you know, you may have said some, some ugly things about your mom or dad. Honoring goes deeper than just grudgingly obeying. It means doing what you're told, even if you don't agree. And you do it with respect and love. If your parents want you to do something, it means that you would be uh, uh, disobeying God. And then you respectfully obey God instead. But if they love the Lord and they're trying to follow in his will, then it's right and it honors Christ to obey and respect them. One of the things I talked about as I, I talked to some of the youngsters about uh, getting ready for their baptism was the whole idea of, of obedience. Baptism is a matter of obedience. And so if we ask our kids to go clean, our, clean the room and to pick up their toys or whatever it might be, and if they don't do that, they're being what? Disobedient. And this whole idea of obedience, you know, I'm, I find out that, that that works still in our lives as adults, amen? That, that there are times when we need to be obedient and we need to do what's right. Paul points out that this obeying parents was the first commandment with promise there in Ephesians 6.2, which was a long life in the land promised to the Israelites. It isn't a guarantee for us, but rather it's a principle for living. Kids, as, as you honor your mom and dad and your parents and, and, and you prepare the fertile soil for your soul one day to receive God's authority, and to allow God to have that first place over you. And obeying and honoring him gives you a, a bountiful harvest like Christ-like character traits. Such as self-discipline and humility and integrity. That can give you a stable, happy, long 
life. They, that builds the framework, builds the groundwork for that. And then for parents, Paul next turned to the fathers as the head of the family, and, and really this applies to both parents. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 here, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The New English Bible uh, has uh, this particular uh, rendering. It says, Father, Fathers, do not goad your children into resentment. What are some of the goads that fathers or, or parents may use to prod their children into resentment? What are the kind of things that, that moms and dads might do to, to prod or to push kids toward uh, resentment? Well, it could be as simple as unreasonable demands to expect uh, more from a child than he or she can meet. You know, if you ask a small child, you know, take the chainsaw, climb up that tree, and take that limb off. Okay, granted, that's a really bizarre ask. But some of the times the things that we ask of our kids are on that same level. There's no way they're going to be successful at it. There's no way they're going to be able to do that. And we put unreasonable expectations on them. Maybe, maybe it's harsh discipline. It doesn't matter or it doesn't meet or match the degree of the offense. When our kids were growing up, I didn't try not to spank them a lot. But there was always one guarantee that you were going to get a spanking if you lie to daddy. You lie to daddy, I guarantee you. I don't care what happens. When we all get it figured out, there's probably going to be a spanking in there somewhere. You say, well, boy, that's, that's just harsh and mean. We have to match the offense. And we have to teach our kids to be tellers of the truth. Here's another one. Cruel remarks that uh, scratch and bruise a child's self-image. I hear those things at Walmart. You walk through Walmart, you hear, you hear statements made to children that break your heart. Even when we think we might be expressing love, such as protecting our children or providing for their wishes, it may be overindulgence, favoritism, permissiveness, which embitters a child's heart. Every one of our kids has different strengths, and, 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 and weaknesses, right? And so do we focus on the strengths or the weaknesses? Do we ever say to a child, well, you should be more like that sibling? It's really, really difficult to walk through. Instead of this idea of provoking children, which brings them down, Paul says to build them up. In the Greek, the word here appears in, uh, also in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. It's translated as nourishment in that it says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes 
and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. As Paul told Christian husbands to follow the example of being nourishing to themselves, to their wives, they ought to be nourishing to their children as well. It's the identical goal for both or for all. Two methods are are found here in discipline and instruction. To discipline is to correct the child who's going in the wrong way. And then to instruct the child is to help the child to go in the right way. So discipline and instruction go hand in hand. You're taking them from going the wrong way and putting them on the right way. Notice the the child is obeying the parents. It's nurturing, which must be done in the Lord. You find that in chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, and verse 4. It's in the Lord. As with anything, all of our relationships are to be focused on Jesus Christ. It's about following hard after God. So not only do we want our husbands and our wives to be spiritual people, but we want our children to be spiritual as well. And so as we, we nurture, we correct, discipline, and instruct them, then we're also doing that in the Lord. Christ is at the center of that relationship. The nearer parents and children draw to Christ, the nearer that they draw to one another. So let me, let me give you a couple of uh, concluding principles here. And, and listen, here's the question. What do, what do our children gain from a nurturing home? What, what, is, what, is, what should they be after? Well, first, nurturing parents help children to know who they are. Our kids need us to show them their strengths to encourage our sons and daughters by telling them what we see. All right, so you're good at this, or you're good at that, or you, you work really well with your hands. You have a creative flair. Positive words from loving and involved parents deposit, if you will, precious coins into uh, of precious coins of confidence into a child's storehouse of strength. We need to be encouragers. We need to look at, 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 at our children around us and, and see their strengths. See areas that we can encourage them. Boy, you're really good at this. You're really good at that. And that, that is really important for us to understand. And then secondly, we see nurturing parents take time to cultivate their children's individuality. Boy, if there's one thing I learned early on in our marriage, in our family life, is that our kids are not cookie cutters, okay? They're not cookie cutter kids. So every one of them is exactly uh, the same. You know, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Dan's a little strong-willed. And Amy was my girl. I could look at her, and I could just give her the stink eye. I'd just look at her, and she would burst into tears. Now, that didn't last forever, you get an amen over there? All right. But it didn't last forever, but that was, that was who she was. Phil, when he was little, he had this blanket that he, that he loved, and it had a little silk edging on it. And, and I, would, I would be sitting somewhere, and I'd say, Phil, go get your blanket. And he'd go get his blanket. And I'd say, lay down right here on the floor, and he'd go sound asleep. 
He, he doesn't do that either anymore. And Susie's, you know, Susie's our youngest. And oh, there you go. All right. So, so it, we recognize that every single one of our kids is different. And that's good. That's good. It stretches us as parents. And it helps us to develop our kids in the way that they ought to be. A uh, attentive gardener knows that each plant needs uh, different care. Roses need uh, deep watering weekly, uh, regular fertilization with, with rose food, and they need to be cut back in the winter while other flowers are done differently. And, and uh, you know, our children are not any less individuals. Nurturing parents take time to know their kids' makeup, what makes them tick, and work at helping them to be unique within your family. Create an environment where, where kids feel safe being themselves and whom God designed them to be. I got one final thought. My plan this morning was to begin with some background information, continue through Paul's instruction, and conclude with, with a couple of wrap-up principles, and I've done that. So parenting has a way to make us feel incredibly um, insufficient. And I, I know that. And you may feel that way. And if you feel that way, chances are you're probably correct on some level. Parenting makes us desperate for God's help. Some days, I, I, I ran across this quote, and it was too good not to share with you. Some days, I think successful parenting looks like keeping my children out of prison. Other days, I think success, success equals keeping myself out of prison. We take great comfort in Titus chapter 2, where Paul says that the grace of God instructs us for godliness. Listen, listen to chapter 2 and verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You know, while parents have this great responsibility to train our kids, it, it's an amazing thing to think that we have this huge responsibility to train our kids and to do that, that nurture and instruction and all of that. And in the meantime, God is working on us, nurturing and giving us the instruction that we need from his perspective. God is working his grace in our lives, and, and sometimes it, it, it's hard to get that translated to, to our kids. It always, always look for God's grace and strength in our lives. The psalmist reminds us, unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Another writer said this, the obvious difference between Paul and us is that Paul bragged about his weakness and we spend a lot of time trying to hide our weaknesses from our kids, from anybody else for that matter. So here's, here's my final thought I want to give you this morning. Parents, don't hide your weakness. Admit them. Admit them. Man, when you mess up, admit you messed up. One of the hardest things that I have ever had to do was to come to my kids and ask for forgiveness. I had to do that a couple of weeks ago. 
situation where I did not respond correctly. And one of my kids called me out. Said, nope, that ain't going to fly. And I had to ask their forgiveness. Still, as a grandpa, having to ask for forgiveness. Admit your weaknesses. Go to God for help. His strength will be sufficient. If we trust him, if we love him, we know his strength is sufficient. Weak parents have a mighty Savior. Amen? Amen. Let your hearts be encouraged as God is working in our lives with our kids, through us, through to our kids, and may God continue to work on moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to have opened your word. We just pray now, the Father, this morning that uh, as we have have looked into your word, that God, uh, you would just take your word and apply it to our lives. Help us to be fully committed to following hard after you, both as parents and children. Father, do a work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.